Uh, well, well, thank you both for calling in. I really appreciate that. No problem. Of course. All right. Uh, we can go ahead and uh, cut right to the chase here. Uh, the I, I before we get going, I want to let you know it's it's I kind of our style here is just kind of let the interview flow on. Uh, and there's just a couple basic ideas I want to touch on, such as the motivations behind piracy and also the, uh, the effort to stop it, uh, the changing landscape of content delivery, and also just what piracy has, has already done for, for culture, for pop culture, especially. And I assume you two are pretty good experts for this, right? <laughs> Nate's pretty pretty well versed. I guess I'm the piracy expert, and then Chantel's an expert on pretty much everything else. Hey, <laughs> perfect, perfect. Then I don't have to do any heavy lifting, and I appreciate that. Awesome. All right, uh, let's go ahead and kick this off. I'll do a little lead in right here, such as, "Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is Maddie P presents Saturday Morning Serial, and today we are talking with uh, Nate Glass and Doctor Chantel Tibals. I massacred that again, didn't I? <laughs> It was closer than the first time. It was closer than the first time. Pretty good. <laughs> Think of it like it rhymes with kibbles and bits. Tibbles. Oh, that's that's a good tip. Almost almost too good. I'm going to call you Dr. <laughs> bits before this is over. You just watch. <laughs> You're welcome, Chantel. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, for a little bit of background, Nate Glass is the uh, owner and operator of Takedown Piracy, an anti-piracy organization. Uh, he's a leading expert on piracy, which is very convenient given his day job. Uh, he works with uh, adult entertainment, pro athletes, movies, music, TV, and you can catch uh, his work down at uh, TakedownPiracy.com or follow him at, at TakedownPiracy on Twitter. Uh, uh, Dr. Chantel is a sociologist specializing in pop culture, entertainment, and sex. Uh, two out of the three of those things we try to accomplish here on the show. That's perfect. Uh, and she also has a book coming out uh, just later later next month, June, uh, July 7th, I believe, called Exposure, a Sociologist Explores Sex, Society, and Adult Entertainment. And you can pre-order it now on Amazon.com. Or I would think there must be some specialized torrent, you know, BitTorrent site that uh, offers pirated books. Would I be wrong uh, about that? There is, but Chantel's book will not be available on there if I have anything to say about it. Oh, good for you. Although the, the amount of irony might make it worth it, but good for you. Good for you. <laughs> and And I'm glad you said that, Nate, because first I want to establish... What drives a man to get into anti-piracy? What what are your personal motivations? Because you are protecting the copyrighted content of people who are not yourself. Right, right. Well, I mean, I was working in the adult industry. I had been working in the adult industry for years and years. At uh, you know when when I first had this idea, and it was really just seeing you know the other studios which were, you know, not only owned by people I knew, but the people who worked in sales and marketing and, and everybody was kind of getting, you know, kind of feeling the pinch there and seeing my friends get laid off because the company has to pull back, you know, on the budget. 
you know, I, I kind of took that not only, I kind of took it personally, you know, so I looked at it from a point of view of there was a problem that I didn't think was really being addressed by anyone in the industry. And I thought, you know, uh, why, why shouldn't I be that guy? Why can't I be that guy that, that helps try to solve this problem? Well, well, that, I think that's kind of the heart of the question I'm getting to because most people are going to be the type who kind of lay back and say, well, if I don't like piracy, I'm not going to pirate anything. But I think it takes something, something a little extra, something a little altruistic to say, I am going to make it my job to make sure that nobody is pirating. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it, it, was, it was simply... I guess maybe you could say I have like a hero complex. I don't know. Maybe I maybe <laughs> I wanted to be the the hero or something. But I just I just I saw an opportunity where I could protect people who I considered to be friends, you know. And and now we've expanded out to where obviously we have clients or people, you know, who I didn't know previously. But at the time, it was like these are my friends, and they're getting ripped off, and no one's protecting them. And you know, because it's adult, you know, we can't like sit back and wait for the government or anybody to really come save us. Like if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen probably internally. So, um, you know, you, somebody's got to save the day. So I guess it had to be me. Well, well, would you, would you say that you have saved the day then? Not yet. We're getting closer. The day is not yet saved, but I think we've gotten a lot closer. Um, I like to think, you know, a lot of the clients that I've had from day one are still around today, and I don't know how much of that, you know, I can attribute to the fact that, you know, we protect their content. I don't want to take all the credit because obviously they make great films and, and whatnot, but um, I think we have done our part in keeping those businesses, you know, still profitable and, and still around. And a lot of the people who haven't protected their content, the people who kind of just sat back and didn't do anything, a lot of those guys aren't around anymore. So I think you can, you know, I'm not trying to <laughs> pat myself on the back too much, but I think you can attribute, you know, some of that, um, the fact that some of these companies are still around to the, to what we do for them. All right. All right. And, and you say, and you know, jokingly, but you do say uh, perhaps it's a bit of a, a hero complex that you take on this uh, almost insurmountable task. Which kind of, by definition, goes against the popular idea, which is that if more people are stealing than paying, then if you put it to a vote, the people are going to say, we want all this for free. Obviously, that's not going to work. But you do have, I think, at the other end of the spectrum, almost lining up to you would be, uh, off the top of my head, I forget the girl's name, something Bashar from the uh, uh, Ninja Video Site. Oh yeah, yeah, Hannah, Hannah Bashar. Hannah Bashar, that's it. Who, who I've done a little research on. I find her kind of fascinating as well. But she seems to have, and this is no exaggeration, a real hero complex herself, where she felt like Robin Hood, doing the exact opposite of what you did, or or, or yeah. what you are still doing, which she was, you know, federally forced to stop doing. But that does point to. You know, where where is the average man supposed to say what is the moral imperative and does it lie more in preventing piracy or more in recognizing and propagating piracy? Yeah, I mean, I don't think to me it's clear cut. Now, to other people, they may be more conflicted about it, but to me, it's clear cut like. 
people are, you know, spending their own time, putting their own money to produce content. If you're exploiting their work for free, like you are exploiting them, you're exploiting them without their consent. And to me, that's just clear cut wrong. Like there's not a lot of gray area there. But I mean, I deal with people online, people like you mentioned, Hannah, like where in their mind, they're the good guy and they're, they're true believers that they're doing right. But I think when you go and if you go and you talk to the people affected by their actions, and I mean like the content producers, the people who work at the studios, people who work in the office, whatever, I don't think they see those people as some sort of Robin Hood. I think they just see them as somebody who's exploiting their work for free and, and not compensating them and not asking their permission. So uh, to me, it's a clear cut right and wrong, but maybe other people have a different take. And and obviously they must with Hannah Bashar's in the world and so forth. But then, you know, if you really want to take that as, as a, like a, like a moralistic argument, then you could say even before it gets to being pirated content, there are producers out there who get basically screwed over by networks or studios or something where they do all the work and get a, nowhere near a lion's head share of the pay. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I deal with that, especially when people talk about music, they always say, well, you know, the labels screw the artists. And I'm like, that's true. And I'm right there with you. But then I don't make the next step to be like, well, so then I'm going to screw them even worse. <laughs> you know, so I'm yeah. going to not, whatever percentage the label might give them is so paltry, but I guarantee you that Torrent site is giving them 0%, you know, and probably taking a percent away from them. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think there's anything that's like a perfect scenario. And I've got things I'd like to see adult do with maybe like a, a royalties kind of thing. But, you know, the the logistical nightmare probably prohibits that. I don't think anything's perfect, but I definitely think, you know, some situations are better than others. All right. Well, here's where – and uh, uh, Dr. Tibbles, this is where I want to bring you into it uh, because a great example would be uh, the Game of Thrones – season finale broke all kinds of records for a lot of things but not least among them piracy and this is something (laughs) that has been going on for a while with hbo specifically let's talk about as a site or, or or as a network which has said we actually don't mind the pirates so much it's the exposure that we get from that that helps our business model and in I'm not saying that they're just laying down and letting everything get pirated, but they do say, all right, the, what more eyeballs on the project, no matter how they get there, is going to be a net positive in the long run for us. And is there any truth to that, or are they just rolling over? In my – I mean – Obviously, I'm not at the table there at HBO when they're deciding, you know, what's a loss leader for them and what is, you know, an interesting, tricky marketing tactic. You know, it, it could be that HBO makes enough money with its paying clients and it's got the biggest show in the history of forever, and that could be all that they want. But it, it's interesting to consider both, you know, adult content piracy, um, you know, famous Thrones piracy, and even, you know, basic tiny little things. Like earlier today, I saw a, a college professor, a colleague of mine, talking about how she was going to photocopy um, books and make the photocopies available to her students so they didn't have to purchase them. 
there's so many different variable ways that this issue shows up and in and, and different degrees of intensity. So in terms of your question, it, it could be that HBO, you know, they look at their books and they say, oh, okay, this is, this is how we want to do this. But it's an interesting point to consider the idea that HBO is not necessarily looking at what is happening in consumer culture today. It could be that they are very satisfied with their monthly subscribers, but they could also, you know, reach a bunch of different consumers that would rather than sort of exploit their content, watch it for free, and then move on, actually engage their community, engage their program, engage their show, if it were available to purchase one-off or, or something like that. So it, it confounds me to think about a network going in. We make enough money on the subscribers. We'll just not even worry about that piracy piece, partially because it, it doesn't seem like they are willing to consider their model within the context of consumer culture today. How do you mean? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're not giving. There's a lot of consumers out there that would probably be very, very happy to pay for Game of Thrones, like season, what are we on, season five now? I don't know because I don't subscribe to HBO, but I also don't watch Game of Thrones pirated. So it could be that they're just okay with the loss leader, and, and that's their prerogative. But they're also not thinking about this whole percentage of consumers out there that want to consume their content legitimately, but in a way that works for them. And the technology is there. So rather than just engage another, you know, when people talk about multi-platform, oh, we have to put it online and we have to make a, a mailing and all of that, they're not considering all of these different ways to consume that would actually help alleviate this piracy issue if people had the capacity to do that. Now, obviously, people instead are choosing to pirate the content rather than wait for it to come out or, you know, consume it in the way that, you know, in the quote-unquote legitimate mode that they have. But it's just an interesting kind of conundrum that you see happening that contributes to this cultural sort of perspective or stance that digital content is a free commodity, and, and that's not the case. There are actors in Game of, Games of Thrones. There are, you know, people who perform in porn. There are artists who make music, and that is their work and their labor. And just like, you know, I don't write articles for free, and teachers don't teach for free, and lawyers don't offer legal advice for free, but when you think about this, issue as the exploitation of individual labor, then it starts to really become problematic. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. When you look at it as a black or white, you know, if you're pirating, then you're stealing and you're not paying into the system. You are just taking. But what about, and there are, I can even speak from experience here, The when you talk about the networks and the providers you know, having to find different ways to present their content so that they can keep up with the changing market. At the same time, the consumer is faced with that as well. For instance, if I have a cable subscription and an HBO subscription on top of that, but I have to work at the times when the shows I want to see are coming out 
and I don't want to shell out on top of the hundred plus dollars that I'm so far in the hole to see this. I don't want to shell out another twenty, thirty, fifty, sixty dollars for a DVR so that I can watch it on my time. Does that mean that it is still wrong for me? Like when I get home from work three hours after Game of Thrones has come out and I can't catch it on demand or you know, my cable provider doesn't allow me. They haven't made their own deal with HBO so that I can use HBO Go, et cetera. And I know that's already a folding model, but for the for the sake of this example, then right. is it am I actually stealing from anyone if I go onto a streaming site so that I can watch Game of Thrones at two thirty in the morning when I can't find it anywhere else, even though I'm paying into the system? Well, I think you're Oh, go, go I was going to say, I think, you know, it's getting into some, some pretty narrow minutia there, but I think, you know, with HBO, I don't know, like different cable programs, but, you know, you mentioned like the DVR, pretty much all that stuff's on HBO On Demand. Um, I have Apple TV, so I have HBO Go. There's HBO Now, which you can get standalone, so you don't need a... Uh, HBO subscription. True, so, I they mean, are I feel coming like, up with solutions. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah, and I mean that a lot of that is because of I think the piracy issue. I think HBO mm-hmm. now is kind of born from that piracy issue, in the same way that iTunes was kind of born from Napster. So I mean, I think piracy, in some to some degree, pushes. Uh, it, it really kind of shines the light on what the consumer is wanting. But I think once the industry has kind of met that you know, that, that uh, list of like checklist of here's what we want, here's what we want. And when the, when the provider meets that and then people continue to pirate it, at some point I think there's more, you know, like the situation, the, the hypothetical situation that you're describing, or it may not even be hypothetical for you, it's probably reality. But hey, 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 don't put words in my mouth here, Mr. Glass. <laughs> it might be, it might be, but anyway, um, I think – if that were the common thing, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I think the the large um, majority of the problem is people who have access, who could get it, who could pay for it legally, and who just go, you know what, free is better than me paying for something. I don't want to pay for it. I think that's what drives the problem. And in, in HBO's case, you know, they, they took that approach, I think, publicly of saying, oh, we don't mind the piracy, it's, it's exposure. But if you work in the realm that I work, you see that HBO is very aggressive in having things taken down from Google, like pirated links and things like that. So they are very aggressive in enforcing their copyright. So I think they're kind of playing both sides. That way they can appear to be kind of the, like, we hear you, good guy, to the pirates, while at the same time also enforcing you know their copyright aggressively. And I do think part of that PR thing of them saying, hey, we don't mind the promotion, I would imagine that it's conceivable that some of that is to show maybe in certain territories where they don't have broadcast deals for Game of Thrones that there is a demand for it, that people who, in, in, in this case, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really look down on them for pirating. If you live in a country where, for whatever reason, you can't in any legal way obtain Game of Thrones then, yeah, those people are going to pirate it because they live in the same world. They use Twitter and Facebook, and they hear their friends talking about it, and they want to take part in it too. So I wonder if some of that is them kind of you know, showing in whatever territory, 
hey, there's a big demand for this show here. Look how many people are pirating it or whatever. Let's, you know, let's do a broadcast deal or some kind of, you know, contract to, to show it. I think, you know, that, that might be a play as well. Well, see, I'm glad that we got to this point because the next idea I want to talk about is that piracy uh, and the efforts to stop it and everything that is changing about these content delivery systems that we have now between Netflix, uh, people cutting the cord, et cetera, is that it's kind of a conversation between the consumers and the creators. And, right. you know, when it was just television and the only feedback you got were those little blue books from Nielsen, the networks <laughs> pretty much, you know, they, they just looked as their, at their audience as one giant organism. Right. But now that things are changing and they have to learn and adapt. And I think what you're seeing with HBO finally setting up its own standalone service is that they are listening, that this is a response that all of this will eventually kind of shake itself out. It's just that everyone involved in the industry at this point is getting the short end of the stick until we do have it figured out. Even echoes back to the writer strike several years ago in television where eventually I, I, nothing got solved. Anything that, that has to do with, you know, social change, be it like a dramatic flashpoint, which is never as immediate as we think, or these kind of evolutions that you're talking about here, the big sort of amorphous audience that now is becoming this very finely honed and tuned piece. You know, it, it is an interesting idea to think about this progression occurring over time and people kind of shifting with it. It is a, a fascinating thing to think about the impact that, you know, media, the Internet, social media, tube sites, all of these things that on a technology level and on a platform level have allowed people to see when they want to look out into this, you know, formerly amorphous sea of, of an audience. You can now see, you know, different interests, different social classes, d different socioeconomic price points, you know, maybe somebody who can't afford the $200 a month or whatever it costs for HBO with all the bells and whistles can't afford the $20, like whatever, the buy on demand price point, and that's all they want or need. So, you know, as we start to kind of get the capacity to take apart the audience and then offer things that meet different people's different needs, it will be, it's an interesting idea to see if it will shake out. But I think that the issue has another sort of undercurrent or underlayer to it, which is this sort of cultural sentimentality that I see um, really becoming pervasive. I mean, it's been present for a while now, and it, it just seems to be intensifying, is the idea that this sort of product or content is kind of like a right or you're entitled to it. And that is a really interesting thing to kind of think about because, I, you know, as, as uncomfortable as it is to talk about it, it could be that HBO has every possible thing that people could want or need cornered in every territory accessible at every price point and the easiest ways of paying in every possible mode. And there still is this thing that's happening in our culture right now that says, that's not enough. I should just be able to watch HBO if that's what I want. And that 
where I think we're going to continue to get this sticking point that I don't see resolving itself very, you know, anytime in the near future. Well, I, I might, again, as devil's advocate, I might even jump in here and say, perhaps that's a result of the fact that for decades, uh, television was overvaluing itself. It doesn't actually, you know, if you break it down to the numbers and you have 6 billion people who like to watch television and don't like to spend extra money and you have television networks that are making substandard, you know, they're paying too much to produce their stuff to begin with and they demand so much in return and for so long ad revenue was the only thing that drove that model forward as long as you just had the audience in place. Now that the audience has so much more to choose from, you know, and, and, and before I go any further, I want to admit, even as a devil's advocate, there is no way you're ever going to get everyone on the planet to say, Oh yeah, I would love to pay for everything I get. That's right. We we need a workable number, but you're never going to get every, you're never going to get a consensus. Yeah, and I, I think everybody consensus with anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think point. everybody realistically knows that. I mean, we do that in everything. Like we put up, you know, speed limit signs. We know that like we're never going to get everyone to not speed, but I don't think we kind of throw out the effort because like, well, there's going to be some people who are going to speed anyway, so screw it. You know, there's going to be people who murder people, even though we've outlawed it. Like you still want to try to, you know, get everybody on the same page as best as possible. And I think to touch on your point of, you know, the kind of bringing all this together and listening to the consumer, I I sometimes think that some of these people, you know, involved in the decision-making, like they're not all just like stubborn, you know, not all of them, but they're not all kind of stubborn, like Luddites or whatever, who are stuck in some, you know, bygone era, just the logistics to pull some of these things off aren't as easy as, you know, those of us from the outside. I know, I know, I don't know if Chantel can maybe speak to this as well, but I hear people, especially when we talk about the adult industry, they go, well, there should be an iTunes for porn. And I'm like, well, yeah, like everybody says that, but the, the reality and the logistics of somehow getting everybody on board, you know, that's not as easily done. So like this idea that that the, you know, cable companies or whatever should just do what the consumers say in a in what might seem like a long time for us, but in the grand scheme is kind of a, a relatively short period. I mean we have come leaps and bounds. I look at what we have now with Netflix and Hulu and I'm a WWE network subscriber and like all these things that we have. And I think, like, man, when I was a kid, I would have literally killed someone for these things. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. And to us now, it's like, yeah, it's great, but it could be a lot better, you know. So we're kind of maybe impatient a little bit, but it's good because that that impatience hopefully drives the, the innovation forward as well. Yeah, and that's and it's all part of the conversation, which... It might almost be too generous a word at this point because it kind of seems like a, like a slowly moving standoff between <laughs> people who just want everything for free and feel they deserve it now. And there, and you're right, there is going to be a small amount of people who are so entrenched in that idea. They're just indignant consumers who really 
do nothing but but hurt the system. And then on the well, other yeah. end of the spectrum, you may have people who are so strongly against piracy that they will actually hurt the creative process in order to stop it. But in between, I like to think the vast majority of us are willing to find a reasonable position and stay there. You know, it's an interesting thing to think about, too. And this isn't necessarily a, a Game of Thrones, or maybe it is a Game of Thrones consideration, but it's definitely um, an adult industry and an adult entertainment issue. You know, as Nate was sort of alluding to, talking about, oh, there should be an iTunes for porn and, and the difficulties there. A lot of that has to do with stigma we have about consuming certain types of content. And so it, it could be that there is a, a person out there who wants to watch, you know, some edgier HBO or Cinemax program maybe that has themes that their immediate family members or people surrounding them, they, you know, don't necessarily approve of. Um, I recently wrote a story for Men's Health about piracy, and one respondent that I had to the story talked about how um, he liked to watch porn on his phone, and, you know, he would pirated and he'd watch pirated porn on his phone and part of the the piece that didn't end up in the final article was that he liked doing this because it was more private because he couldn't watch it on his shared computer with his family members and, and on and on so it's interesting to think about this other dimension to piracy that has to do with the kind of media we're consuming and i you know i still have this very sort of like moralistic you know, my own personal Chantel stance on the, well, you shouldn't be stealing it. But at the same time, it is interesting to think about how um, stigma and discrimination and, you know, hot topics and, and things that we're not allowed to talk about publicly, how those social issues can then impact piracy or, or people consuming media in sort of workaround ways because they feel apprehensive about whatever it is that they're touching on. Mm -hmm. well, another dimension that goes with with this whole conversation, especially with adult, where it's you know I had a, a friend of mine say like, well, if there was like an app on my iPhone where I could you know make payments or whatever and watch porn, and I'm like, that's that's not that doesn't exist, and it's not because the adult industry doesn't want it to exist, it's because Apple won't allow it to exist. So you know, even though I think the adult industry in so many ways has met the consumer, like what the consumer wants, there's things that we can't provide. And it's not for a lack of will on the part of the adult industry. It's that, you know, getting, you know, the, the money processing, you get discrimination from banks, you're getting discrimination from Apple, not allowing apps and things like that. So, you know, that's where they're, they've listened to the consumer. And when you look at some of the like adult, like retail and, and video type sites, they offer, you know, whether you want to pay by the minute for a very cheap rate or whether you want to buy the individual scene and watch it and own it for the rest of your life. Like, they've done all those things that you hear consumers kind of say that they want to do, but they're still kind of have that, that those obstacles, those social stigmas and those kind of, you know, industrial discriminations that, that uh, hold them back as well. Yeah, which – and I think uh, the adult industry is a special case wherein that – Basically, piracy is the ultimate, you know, discreet brown paper wrapping. 
<laughs> ironic that that's, that. that's a, it's a yeah, it that is, image that yeah. it's like a brown paper bag wrapped around your phone or something nowadays. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, which I think is why in the article, I think it was, it was, a uh, it was first name only David who you talked to who said, it's a miracle yeah. that at lunch I can watch this on my phone. That is clearly yeah. someone who has a mindset that he wants to spend his lunch watching porn. But mm-hmm. obviously, he does not want anyone else to know about it. So the moment you put down a credit card, the moment you put down your name or anything that identifies you, it becomes different. It becomes a certain – I don't want to get too deep into it, but admitting it and possibly putting your – being more vulnerable yeah. to watching and the porn. Idea. Whereas if you right. just and want to watch idea. the new Transformers movie and you don't think Michael Bay deserves $16 <laughs> – I would give you more grief for watching Transformers than porn, obviously. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be Just much farther. <laughs> but I also <laughs> notice, and, and I know the article you're talking about, uh, uh, Dr. Tibbles, because – well, I, I just read it yesterday. Uh, just came out. You can all catch it if you're listening at menshealth.com. Uh, and it's called A World Without Free Porn. But at no point in the article – do you even hint at a concession that someday there will just no longer be piracy? The only concession you want to make is that there won't be free porn. Is that, are, are we all on the same page that at one degree or another piracy will continue? There is going to be a contingent of consumers who will never pay for anything. Yeah. I mean, there's, I... there's that's always been there. And I think it's, it, it will always be there to some percent, but I think you have to get it. It's like having a store and like having some delusion that you'll never have shoplifters. Like it's going to happen, but you have to kind of factor in what amount of shrinkage you're willing to put up with. You know, what, what amount you take all the steps to try to minimize that. But at the end of the day, you know, you know, occasionally somebody's going to steal a candy bar from your store or something like that, but you can't. <laughs> well, just then I'm, I'm curious, Nate, what your pitch is to new clients. If you include that. Well, the thing that we – I mean, to, to reference the, the article, what I, what I say is that there's always going to be some version of free porn. I mean, the example I use in the article is the guy who used to you know, use the Sears catalog. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people get off to a lot of different stuff, and not all of it involves a financial transaction. But there is definitely – and I, I, I've seen this from my experience in the industry where that premium content, the content that is worth paying for – when that stuff's not available legally, there's a definite difference between that stuff and, you know, the premium, like the quality content and that kind of orphaned content that no one's protecting and that's been floating around out there. And the analogy I give is that, you know, you could go this weekend and watch the Jurassic World movie or you could, you know, buy one of those dollar DVD bin, you know, public domain movies. Like they're both movies. But you consider one to be maybe better than the other, maybe not, but, you know, a lot of people consider one, you know, to be better than the other. So if that premium content isn't available, you know, so readily and so conveniently for free and from a pirated source, I think it'll be harder for those pirate sites to continue to monetize their operations. And eventually, I think those viewers will go, you know what, I'm not going to, I don't want to spend that much time you know, looking for that particular scene, I'll just buy it from one of these sites where I can watch it for 10 cents a minute or whatever. So I think there's, 
you know, there'll, there'll be some shift there. And, and some of those viewers, and this is kind of like the, I think the dirty little secret that a lot of these, um, you know, piracy-based tube sites don't want to admit is that a lot of those viewers are not of legal age. And my hope is that, you know, that number one, they shouldn't be watching it anyway, but I think those viewers don't have the means to like legally purchase the stuff in the first place, but that eventually they'll become paying customers, that they'll kind of age out of piracy once they have that disposable income. Mm -hmm. Which it doesn't seem like an unreasonable assumption. I'm, yeah, I mean, there's like, like you said, there's always going to be some people who won't pay for anything. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, Louis C.K. did a comedy special where he basically, you know, ticked all the boxes for everything that pirates say they want. They wanted to be able to pay with PayPal and all these different payment options. He did that. You could watch it as many times as you want. The money was going direct to the artist. No middleman, nothing. It was like five bucks or something like that for, you know, this hour or whatever stand-up thing. And yet and still, it was still pirated like crazy. And when you read comments on, you know, some of the, the sites talking about it, people, you know, the comments were, you know, Louis C.K.'s got plenty of money. He doesn't need any more money, you know. So there's always going to be those types of just, I don't know what you call those people. There's always going to be those those types of people out there. But I think you can get that to, like, a level that people can, you know, are comfortable with. Yeah. And I think – and that's just the the – the unreachable segment of, of the consumer populace rationalizing for the sake of rationalizing, because they're obviously not going to change. Whereas, and I'm going to bring it back before we leave. I want to bring it back to Ninja video, which again is a subject that just fascinates me. And I don't think we've heard the end of the story of Hannah Bashar and the, the Ninja videoites or the ninjas or whatever they call themselves. But here was a service that was streaming it was basically Hulu where the next day you could find whatever was popular and on television and you could stream it at no cost to you, but they have a donations page and apparently they got a lot of donations. People who said, I am still willing to pay, but the model you are presenting is superior to what the content providers, you know, it's, it's the platform that they were paying for as opposed to the content. And I think that that more cases than not, what we consumers pay for is the platform. We pay to go see something at IMAX. We, we pay to have these specific cable channels because these are our interests, but we don't have any say in the content being produced aside from ratings, but the actual money is more a direct comment on you know, this is this is worth it to me to pay you, Time Warner, even though you, Time Warner, had nothing to do with making this movie, this TV show, or this music. Right. There's something interesting about that that strikes me, and I don't know much about, you know, Ninja Video, and I, I'm very curious, though, is where were those donations going to? Because that's the thing that's really interesting. You know, when we first started our conversation here, there was this whole, like, Robin Hood, you know, metaphor that we were sort of invoking. And, you know, is it that people were donating because it was kind of like stick it to the man, you know, I'm not going to watch it via Time Warner, not via HBO. Um, but, but yes, this like pirate radio kind of thing, I'm going to go for that. And that, you know, gets kind of back to these interesting 
social things that I was talking about before. Is it, what exactly does that mean? Are people saying they're willing to pay, but they're not willing to pay the, the company that distributed it or, or funded it or the artist that created it, but then they're willing to pay the person who developed this more sort of rebellious platform? It's an interesting thing to think about, and I'm very, very curious in that and in that platform, where did the users think that their donation money was going? And and that's a I'm gonna have to look that question. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually I think the answers to those questions are are the most important thing that uh content producers especially need to find out. They need to know because obviously Again, there's going to be people who say, we want it now, we want it free, and if you change any of those terms, I'm going to cheat my way through it. But a vast majority of people, I think, are looking out for you – know, they have a sense of right and wrong, and it can smudge one way or another over a broad line, but they do not consciously believe they are stealing jobs from anyone. They say if those jobs – those jobs could be paid for by the much richer content uh, providers instead of the content producers. So don't tell me I'm taking money out of Tina Fey's hand when I, you know, download a 30 rock episode, I'm just taking money from NBC and screw them. Or is it something a little deeper? But that's the interesting irony is to think about, you know, okay, so I'm going to download this episode of 30 rock. You know, Tina Fey, you've already been paid. I'm just going to take that, take that from I don't know whoever produced it. But after so much time and so many downloads, eventually that producer is not going to be able to have the money to fund Tina Fey or or whatever. And so then that cuts that, or it cuts back a budget, or it. I mean, the long term effects. It's interesting. Like one drop of water is not going to like eradicate the ocean, but as time goes on, those drops add up. And it is very interesting, you know, to think about how we can kind of rationalize these little micro actions, which are realistically very micro actions. But when every person or when we see this cultural tide happening, to think about what that, that tidal wave will actually turn into, it's a really interesting thing to consider. And I've seen that firsthand. Like when we worked, you know, before I started doing this piracy thing as a job, I worked for a studio. And once that kind of boom of piracy and it became very, you know, easy and convenient for people to not pay for our content anymore, the studio started cutting back. They produced less movies. And now all of a sudden, you know, where we had three guys working in the warehouse, well, now we've got one guy working in the warehouse, and he's got to do, you know, the work of three people. And instead of having the best, you know, two or three different editors and authoring for our DVDs, now we've got one guy, and he's doing it part-time. He's got another job. You know, see, the quality starts to degrade. You know, the people, the people when you say, like, oh, I'm going to stick it to NBC or whomever – generally the first people who get the ax in any kind of situation is not the people at the top, you know, they're going to start laying off people, you know, less people to do the stunt work for the movie or less people to do whatever, or they'll hire somebody cheaper to do it or whatever. And I think it starts to kind of degrade the art form when like it's, it's um, what is the saying? It's like dying a, a, you know, death of a thousand tiny cuts, you know, it's just, 
tiny little cuts over and over again that eventually just kill the art form. True. And it's easy to look at it like that is that, you know, NBC is going to pass on the, or NBC is going to pass on the lack of the buck as it were. (laughs) But if you, if you accept that, then you say the only reason we have, you know, uh, people able to make TV shows is strictly because of NBC's patron patronage. You know, they are the Medici's then to the actual Renaissance artists. And well, I think at that point, the Medici's are a hard sell as the good guy, even now. Well, if the money's coming in, if the people, if people are paying for the product and the money's coming, hopefully those people at the top are not just keeping all the money for themselves. Obviously, that's not always the case. But we want, you know, to, to, to think that when we were paying our money for Jurassic World or 30 Rock or Game of Thrones or whatever, that not only does it make HBO rich, but it's going to make George R.R. R. Martin some money, and it's going to make the lady who designs the costumes some money, and the lady who does the accounting, and the guy who does the accounting, and the people, you know. That, that well, everybody- it turns out that it makes them a living. But it does make HBO rich, I think, is what a lot of people might see and say and use that as their justification to pirate and say, well, it's not like they're, you know, millionaires, but the three guys who meet in the top floor of the HBO building and make these decisions, they're millionaires. Let's steal from them. Again, this is all a pattern of generalization, though. Right. And what I've seen that's very interesting to me is that. People, they'll, they'll create that, like, whatever justification they need. They have to create this character that they're, that they're fighting against, you know, to, to in order to justify their actions, they'll do that. But what I've seen that's interesting is when piracy affects them, when something like when Instagram changes their terms and says, hey, we own your photos and we can sell them for, um, you know, marketing or whatever – people lose their minds over it. There, there was a guy a few months ago who was taking other people's Instagram photos, adding his own comments, and then selling them as art, and people lost their mind over it. So if it's not good when somebody does it to you, it probably shouldn't be good for you to do it to somebody else. I feel like there's a saying there that might uh, encapsulate that better, but I <laughs> yeah. feel like... Some you know, golden if, saying from dating way back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think when people, when it affects them, all of a sudden piracy is bad and I own my content and you can't do this without my consent. And, you know, once, once, once it affects them, then people seem to kind of sometimes sing a different tune. All right. Well, there we go. I think uh, all we have to do is get everyone in the country who owns a television set to run a network studio. Everyone who goes to the movies or steals anything online to run a, a you know, a publishing house, uh, an adult film house. Uh, if we get everybody to play every role, then it's easy to solve the problem. But exactly. that's not going to happen since it, and, and, but I think we are in the middle of this conversation, which is moving faster than we realize or can appreciate. And in, you know, I, I don't know if I'm making this up or if there's anything to back up what I'm saying. But I imagine when movies back in the the 19 teens or whatever started building movie theaters and showing actual movies for money, theater troops said, well, this is it. It's over. And then in the 50s, when televisions were being put into every house, movie studios probably thought, oh, well, this is it. This is over. And then Mm -hmm. now that Netflix, the Internet, streaming services, uh, legitimate or otherwise, are going on, now we are in this specific 
time in the conversation where, you know, uh, TV content providers are throwing their hands up and saying, well, this is it. We're done for. But we still have theater. We still have movies. We still have television. And I think we'll have all of them going forward. We just need to finish this part of the conversation to know how to exchange it, to know what those realistic numbers of people stealing and people altruistically paying are going to be so that it's a viable business model. Yeah. I think as long as the, you know, the artists are getting compensated people are getting compensated along the way. And as long as no one's having their consent taken away from them, then I think, you know, you're, you're on the right path. But like you said, it's, it's not always easy to kind of, you know, put everybody on the same page and get everybody singing the same tune, but at least we're talking about it. Maybe we'll get there. Yep. Yep. It started, uh, you know, Johnny Rotten wrote the song about EMI long before anyone would bother pirating anything that the Sex Pistols did. Not that the Sex Pistols probably cared about piracy at the time, but <laughs> there's always I been think... a struggle between how an artist creates and how they get paid by the public. It's just I feel like I one saw a down. story. I feel like I saw a story recently that talked about a bunch of different um, punk bands, and one of them was the Sex Pistols that had licensed, or whoever is in control of that copyright, but had licensed the image to H and M actually <laughs> to uh, make T-shirts. So you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Sooner or later, everybody's got to eat. That's right. But most importantly, I got to go watch the new Game of Thrones. And so I thank you both so much. for. Don't worry, it's HBO Go. Awesome. This time. I will admit, for conversation's sake, there was a time before Netflix was streaming, before Hulu existed. I was one of the very first Hulu adopters, in fact. Like the first time I heard about it on the Internet, I had no idea if it was going to be legitimate or not. I just said, yes, please send me... I, I want an invitation to your beta. Yeah, I love it. I have it up on my TV literally right now. I'm watching Hulu Plus. <laughs> it's my preferred way to watch TV. <laughs> See, there you go. I think that, but that is where the conversation has gotten us. Ten years ago, piracy was, I don't know, just to pull a number out of my ass, 30% of what people sitting in their bedroom were watching. Now, maybe it's 18%. And that just the fact that the number has gone down instead of even staying the same, let alone getting higher, I think means the conversation is working. And there's always going to be a certain percentage, just like 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you had people taping things on VHS off of television and giving them to friends or family members saying, you got to see this, this episode of Dallas. Yep. Well, nowadays it's so much like that same kind of mentality is still out there, but instead of sharing it with, you know, your three or four neighbors, now you're sharing it with a million people. So now the scale is so much bigger, but like you said, it is a positive in that we have so many more legal ways to watch content than ever before. So that's at least moving it in a, in a good direction. I still think there's a lot of improvement that can be done. It frustrates me when I have clients whose stuff gets pirated, but then it's not available legally in like most countries and they have very kind of archaic, you know, methods for distributing it. Like that makes my job harder because I know there's going to be more, you know, more of that stuff being pirated. And I can kind of understand people's mentality when they can't get it legally. Like, 
that's what they're going to resort to. So I always tell my clients, like, the best thing you could do to cut down on your piracy is make your stuff available, make it convenient, and make it a good price for people. If you do that, and, you know, you're, you're a long way towards the goal. Well, I, I think you've got it. That should be the mantra for, every, uh, for content providers. Uh, things have changed. Things are going to continue to change. Uh, piracy is never going to go away, but, uh, at, you know, uh, at some point in the near future, we're probably going to talk about, you know, 2007 to 2012 as the bad old days of piracy, <laughs> but things are changing now. And I mean, uh, we can't predict where the platforms are going to go in the future, but for now it's a conversation that is ongoing, but is showing obviously signs of progress. So, again, I want to thank you, Nate Glass of uh, Takedown Piracy. I want to thank you, Dr. Chantel Tibbles, uh, sociologist. And uh, the book comes out July 7th, correct? Yes. Yes, it does. And if I wanted to read it without paying for it, can you tell me where I could find it? Yes. If you want to read it while paying for it, it's up on (laughs) Amazon. Pre-sailing currently is also on my website, com. You can pre-order it there. But it's coming out so soon that you could just order it soon. <laughs> there you go. Not not the strongest pitch, but you got the right idea. Exactly right. This is, <laughs> this is pertinent information someone actually worked on, and they deserve their due for payment. So as someone who has pirated in the past, usually as a last resort, I will say there is a line you have to draw. Definitely. And her book, it's worth paying for. Come on. That's right. Exposure, (laughs) a sociologist, explores sex, society, and adult entertainment. Uh, Thank you both so much. Uh, I I guess it's probably where we'll actually end the interview. But on a personal note, I do want to thank you guys for calling in. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. Yeah, it was great talking. Thank you so much. Perfect. I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this. And I actually... I've already seen the Game of Thrones episode, but I am going to go and uh, just as an experiment, I think I'm going to boot up my computer and on one tab try to watch uh, like the new True Detective on HBO Go versus trying to download it from a pirate site, and I'll see which one I'm seeing first. Make sure you have your your virus software up to date, your ad blockers and all that. I like to live dangerously. We may never hear from you again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys both so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's not usually on the show. We do kind of dumb promotional interviews. So I really like to get a chance to kind of sit down and I know it probably should have been more of me asking you questions, but I just had a lot to say about the subject. So thanks for putting up with me and thanks for actually keeping the conversation going. Don't no mention problem. it. It was awesome. It was great talking to you. All right. Not at all. Uh, good luck on the show. Uh, I mean, uh, good luck. Good luck on the book, Dr. Tibbles. Thank you. Uh, Thank Nate, you. Uh, I don't know. Good luck with the piracy. I think you've got a <laughs> lifetime's work right ahead of you, so you chose your field well. Well, I actually, <laughs> the other day, when you think about it, I should be not only beloved by the industry, but the people who hate porn should love me too, because I do more to keep, like, their whole, like, got to keep the children away. Like, I do more to do that than they do. So, you know, I, I feel like I've, uh, 
I should be living a charmed life. <laughs> May, if you can get people who hate porn to pay you to work in the porn industry, you let oh me know. God. Because I think you have just pushed the envelope further than I could imagine. Oh they should. God. They should just. They should be writing their checks to me instead of these crazy, you know, conservative religious groups. <laughs> like, write them to me. I have done more to stop kids from watching hardcore porn than they ever have. <laughs> 50, 50, what was it, 56 million uh, jerk off opportunities removed already <laughs> exactly yeah exactly. i remember that line and it was it was yeah. almost cringeworthy but that those numbers are are nothing to sneeze at no yeah I mean, it keeps getting bigger i mean we're just ramping up our new digital fingerprinting technology is amazing and um, i feel like within another six months if we can get everybody in the industry on board and this speaks to what we were talking to earlier about how it's hard to get consensus and everything but if we can get the majority of the people the content producers on board that this won't be a problem for the porn industry like we won't be talking about this as a problem the stuff that'll be on the free sites is stuff that probably you know nobody wants to jerk off to anyway it's going to be you know crappy content or some you know some of the amateur stuff which some people really love um, that we can't really protect that stuff. But as far as that premium content, those days of getting like the best stuff, you know, will will be kind of over. So hopefully, I guess to an, make it an analogy that those tube sites will have a bunch of that cheap uh, public domain, you know, um, crappy content <laughs> on there as opposed to the <laughs> premium stuff. Uh, you know, you, you might actually be be referring to some of my past work, sir. So I'll thank you to not be so harsh on it. Well, we actually, it's so funny you mentioned that because we're actually, that's kind of, we have it kind of mapped out for further down the line, but we eventually will have kind of our anti-sex tape um, pitch where, you know, if you have recorded yourself or if you have pictures or video or whatever, and you want to make sure that those don't, for whatever reason, someday wind up on one of these sites that we have to, you know, monitor that will be, will give you the opportunity to be able to fingerprint your content so that if it shows up, we'll get a match for it and we'll be able to get it taken down for you. Where do these people want to put it up then? Well, most people don't, I mean, a lot of people, some, some people want to put their, you know, personal home videos up on tube sites or whatever. Some people want to do that. That's their choice to make. But a lot of times we see people, you know, it's like that whole revenge porn kind of, um, in, you know. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. Well, but then up. you would have to get a hold of the revenge porn owner who probably doesn't want the digital fingerprint on it. No, that's, well, that's the, the great thing about our digital fingerprinting technology is that it, it doesn't require the site to install anything because we know that they're not going to self-police. So we're going to police them for them. So they don't have to install anything. They don't have to do anything. They're, they're, we're going to do it whether they, whether they, you know, are down with it or not. So like, uh, if you have, correct, that's one you know, step away from Big Brother. But I think, I think your heart's in the right place. Uh, and also, I've already got paid for all my work. So you know what? <laughs> Fingerprint whatever you like. That voice does sound vaguely <laughs> familiar. <laughs> oh just wait till you see my mustache okay on that note uh thank you both very much i want to let you go i didn't mean to keep you on for like an hour here but uh that was a great conversation it is probably too good for our show but i will find a way to fit it in there damn it fantastic all right good good luck on future endeavors uh again especially the uh 
<laughs> getting rid of piracy. Good luck out there, brother. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Not at all. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Chantel. You guys have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. You too.